We're so glad that you're here. Um, I want to remind you we're on this, this journey. We're in week eight of this journey through chronological segments of Scripture taken directly from the NIV. It's called the story. We've removed, uh, they've removed all of the chapters and verse markings, and it very much reads like a story. And the whole point of it is that we might get the big picture, we might see how it all fits together, how the story of God works together. A um, little cool thing for you this week. I heard from our friend in the UK, I think I told you guys this not long ago, that I was contacted by somebody in the UK that just emailed to say thank you. They were going through and and still are, um, have a spouse that left them, and they were wondering what to do. And they found our website, they found our podcast online, and when we were doing the Sermon on the Mount, and we covered the topic of divorce, somehow that came up in her search And she listened to it, and she said, the Lord just blessed me and spoke to me. So she's been following us ever since. And so I got an email this week. She said, I am loving the story. Isn't that awesome? (laughs) I just thought that is so cool. So uh, our final uh, day that we'll be in the story, uh, she's going to be running a marathon that day. And she said, I'm super excited. On the day that I run, I'm going to be able to hear the podcast for the very end of the story. And I thought, that's really, really neat. So we're eight weeks in. We're about a quarter of the way into this journey, and we're moving really, really fast is what's happening. We're moving really fast. Last week, we covered the entire book of Joshua, the entire thing, all in one week. And as we did, we we talked about the abundant life that is available uh, for us in Christ, that it is real, Uh, that it's there, that it's available, it's what God wants. We talked about God's strange battle plans and the fact that His ways always work even when they don't make sense. Um, We we talked about the courage that's necessary to step into the life of God and to claim our inheritance in in Christ as co-heirs. It means we get everything that Jesus gets, and that's difficult. And then we left with a, a challenge. We talked about taking the story home, and that challenge was that we would identify our walls, that we would look to God and declare that he's bigger than any walls we may face. Remember that, that, that one wall of Jericho was 46 feet high. And there are some things in life that just seem like there's no way we're ever going to get over them or get through them. And in those moments, we've got to stop focusing on our littleness and we've got to start focusing on God's bigness. So we've got to shift our focus unto God. And then um, finally, we said, you've got to make a choice. You've got to make a choice, and that's how the book of Joshua ended. I hope you're here this morning because you did that this week. As you work through that this week, we don't give that to you just to wrap up the sermon. We give it to you to work through. And so we hope, our prayer is that as you showed up this week, you did make a choice. And that choice is that you're going to trust God and that you're going to follow Him. You're going to step into the promised life He has for you. Now, this morning, we've got another huge segment of Scripture. We're going to cover the entire book of Judges. Uh, it is a period of about 330 years, and we're going to do it in about 30 minutes. You guys ready? All right. Join me in a word of prayer, if you don't mind. Father, uh, we are so grateful to be here in your presence. To be called children of God is, uh, wow. It's a title I pray that we're astounded by, that we have trouble wrapping our minds around. It is um, a title that I pray we would um, experience the depths of more and more every day as we, we walk in your spirit, as we experience your great love and joy and peace and patience and goodness. Holy Spirit, we want to invite you now to come and take your proper place, and we declare you are the teacher of this church. 
invite you to come and to step into this pulpit and to guide us, all of us, into the ways of Jesus, that um, he might be lifted up and that he may draw us unto himself. Jesus, be glorified in all that we do, and Father, be praised. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Amen. So the book of Judges documents um, what happens to Israel. What happens to this new nation uh, once they enter into the promised land and the leader that, that led them across the Jordan and on these great conquests, it documents what happens when Joshua dies. And I want to tell you, it's not pretty. You guys read it this week. It's not a pretty book, is it? And so what we're going to do, I'm going to, I'm going to just read from my copy of the story. If you've got your Bible open, uh, I am in Judges chapter 2, starting in verse 7. If you've got your copy of the story, I'm on page 103. 103. And uh, we're just going to kind of get a summary of what's going on in this book. It says, The people serve the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all of the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the land of his inheritance. Okay? At Timnath, Herez, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and they served Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various little g-gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. And his anger against Israel, uh, in his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them. Just as he had sworn to them, they were in great distress. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. They quickly turned from the ways of their ancestors who had been obedient to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and he served And he saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors. Following other gods and serving and worshiping them, they refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and said, Because this nation has violated the covenant I ordained for their ancestors and has not listened to me, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. I will use them to test Israel and see whether they will keep the way of the Lord and walk in it as their ancestors did. That it really is the sad story of this book. 
God has given his chosen people, this new nation Israel, everything that they, not just that they needed, but everything that you could ever imagine, right? God has given them freedom from slavery and bondage. They've been set free. God has given them their own land to dwell in. God himself has come down to camp out at the center of their lives. God has given them a new set of rules so that he can live in the center of their lives. And God has given them a way that their sin can be atoned for so that they can be his people and that he can be their God, that his blessing can remain upon them. But despite all that God has done, These people will forget. These people will forsake. These people will follow their own desires. They will bow down to idols of the surrounding culture, even though God intended to be their culture. And because God loves these people so much, He will not let them go. Instead, He will lovingly discipline them. He will let them face all of the consequences of their choices and their actions until they become engulfed in the results. Until they're overcome by their own sin and they find themselves completely oppressed and unable to return to God on their own. It's sad. Think about it with me. They're living in the promised land And they're living like slaves. The really sad thing in that is I truly believe that that is how many Christians today would identify themselves. They've experienced the freedom that Jesus provides, but they are still in bondage. And unfortunately, we see this happen over and over and over again. So God, because he's good, lovingly disciplines them. They're completely oppressed. He allows all the consequences of their actions to come upon them. Eventually, they cry out, God, we have sinned. God, we are sorry. God, you've never prayed this prayer, have you? Father, if you will save me, I will never, ever do this again. (laughs) Been there, haven't you? Yeah, I'm not alone. And God, out of his grace, God, out of his grace, Hears them. And he raises up a person, a leader, a judge, a deliverer. And that deliverer, that deliverer brings them out of captivity. That sound familiar? That's pretty much the whole book of Exodus. That's how we got here. Unfortunately, these people never seem to get it. Eventually, that leader will die, and the pattern will repeat itself over and over and over and over and over. Six cycles, 12 judges, 330 years, and a third of the period will be in bondage. A third. Friends, how long is your life going to be? You can guess, right? Only the Lord knows. Praise God. I'm glad I don't know. I don't want to know the end point. I just want to know that I've got work to do right now. Can you imagine spending a third of the life that God has given you? Abundant life. Right? Spending a third of it in captivity because of your sin. That's the story of this nation. Now, along the way, we get to meet some of these judges. They're interesting folks with interesting names. The first one, of course, is Othniel. 
That's not how you read it, was it? You, you pronounce it different, but that's how it's pronounced. It's Oth Niel, uh, and he's the first judge. And, and so he comes, and God delivers his people. There's a period of 40 years of rest. Praise God, 40 years. Then, of course, the cycle repeats itself. A new judge, my great, 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 great granddaddy, Ehud, right? Edward Huddleston, just saying, probably related. It's in there somewhere. Ehud comes on up, and a great man, a great judge, uh, delivers the people. They get 80 years of peace, and then the story from there kind of focuses on three main characters, right? The first is a woman, a woman of great influence. Her name is Deborah, and she's a judge. And Now, when you think about a judge, by the way, now I'm not talking robe and gavel. These, these, these were, were more like warriors. They had helmets and swords, and, 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 and this is kind of strange for Jewish culture. And she tells a military commander even, go to battle, for the Lord is with us. You need to go defeat our enemy. And she's a, a woman of such great influence in the nation that the military leader says, I ain't going unless you come with me. Wow. She says, okay. Sissy, I'll go with you, but you're not going to get credit for it. This battle, a woman's going to get credit for this, right? From there, God chooses another one. Least of these guy, Gideon, a farmer. A farmer, not just any farmer, like the smallest farmer on the face of the planet from the nation. He's just like, he's got the littlest farm there is. He's hanging on by a string. God chooses him, and I love this, uh, how God speaks to him. Judges 6, 14. The Lord turns to him and says, go in the strength that you have and save Israel. Can we just pause there for a moment? Because God's funny, <laughs> right? I mean, God's funny, isn't he? Because the guy knows, Gideon knows, I, he's like, Lord, I don't have any strength. What are you talking about in the strength that I have? I just think God's hilarious. So God says, go in the strength that you have and save Israel. <laughs> Out of Midian's hand, am I not sending you? And, and, and uh, Gideon's, man, this is my guy. This is how I'd respond to. Pardon me, my Lord? <laughs> Excuse me? He's kind of like lovingly going, God, do you know what you're even talking about? He says, but how can I save Israel? You should almost read into that. How can I save Israel out of my strength? Right? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. <laughs> He's like, I come from the weakest clan, I come from the weakest family, and I'm the weakest in my family. Lord, you got to be thinking somebody else. And God says, no, it's you. Gideon goes, and God's whole lesson in the life of Gideon, right, is it's about God, not about Gideon. He gathers together an army of 10,000. God says, you've got a few too many. God's going to whittle it down twice. I love the final army. And I, I want to know what Gideon must be thinking as a farmer who really knows that he's the least of these going, I'm going to go into battle with 300 now, Lord. 300. And the Lord works and the Lord moves. And it's about God. It's not about Gideon. Have deliverance, right? And again, a period of peace. And then they stray. And then finally, we meet Samson. And boy, does he have some issues. Amen? I mean, Samson's strong. He can tear apart a lion with his bare hands, but he has a weakness. Women. God eventually uses him, though, to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. And again, 20 years of peace. The cycle then continues. 
What are we supposed to learn from a people that seem to be so set on sin that they don't see it? What do we learn from a cycle of a 330-year period of history where people just kept repeating the same mistakes over and over and over and over again? What lessons do we take away from the lives of these people? I think there's three. There's probably actually more than three. I just don't have time to give you more than three. So there's three things, three lessons I want us to take away from this period in the Bible. And here's the first. The very first lesson I, I pray that you get is that God can and will use anyone who is available. God can and will use anyone who is available. Just recap, right, that God, uh, his goal for us is abundance. That's why he led the Israelites here to the promised land. That's why he's come down to camp out in the center of their lives. That's why he's given them the law, the new rules to live by. That's why he's instituted the sacrificial system so that his blessing can be upon them. God's goal for their lives is abundance. It's his goal for our lives as, as well. But the Israelites forgot all that. They forgot all that God had done for them. They forgot all the ways that God had delivered them. And the results are are tragic. God removed his hand of blessing. He removed his hand of protection in an act of discipline. And they end up in bondage. It sounds familiar. It should. They entered the promise, but they were living in bondage. Again, I would say to you, unfortunately, I feel too many Christians are in this place. Now, after a period, they're going to cry out. Out of his infinite love and mercy, he's going to hear their cries. He's going to raise up a judge and a deliverer. Now, here's the question. Who does God pick? Who does God choose to deliver people from from their own evil desires? Who will he raise up? Is he going to raise up the brightest? Is he going to raise up the best? Is he going to raise up the biggest? And time and time again, the answer is going to be no. No, God is not going to choose the best. He's not going to choose the brightest. He's not going to choose the biggest ever. That's just not how God works. God is not looking for ability. He's the giver of abilities. And so God, instead, looks for someone to use. When he's looking for someone to use to further his kingdom and his cause, he doesn't look at ability. He looks for availability. God says, who is available? Who will go for me? Who'll go for me? Who's willing Who's, who, not, not who's able, who's willing. Some of you in this room, you have been ineffective and unproductive in your Christian walk because you have thought, I'm not able. Friend, you don't have to be able. God is able. Amen. You have to be available. Here I am, Lord. I am a mess, Lord. I don't know what you can do with me, Lord, but I'll go wherever you send me. And when there's no godly man, ain't a problem for God. He'll just raise up a godly woman. He'll anoint her with great influence. Makes some of us uncomfortable in our theology. Friends, I experience it firsthand when I go to Uganda, training up pastors that can handle the word. There's not enough godly men there to do it. A country full of men that are worried about power and influence and sex. It's, it's very, very hard to find a godly man there. And, and there, there are two women in our class that are going out in villages and they're sharing Christ and they're learning how to, how to teach the Bible properly. 
When there's not a godly man, God will raise up a woman. He'll anoint her with great influence. And guys, if that doesn't sit well with your thoughts on leadership, let me make a suggestion. Be the biblical leader in your homes. That wasn't his first choice. I'm always astounded by how many people are opposed to women in any position of leadership. I'm not talking about being a pastor. We don't, we don't do that here. Yet those same people that are opposed to women in any form of leadership have often allowed their homes to be primarily spiritually led by women. The women have been the one that have taught their children about Jesus, have brought their kids to church. Listen, Deborah was a gift from God for Israel. She was. As I look around this room, I see many gifts from God for our church. They are not pastors, but we better see them as partners in the gospel. Does that make sense? We better see them as as gifts from God because they are the ones that are teaching our children and they're ministering to wives, right? They're mentoring. We've got women in our church that are mentoring younger women. That's biblical, friends. That's the way it's supposed to look. They may not be pastors, but they are partners in the gospel. When the greatest among us, the most well-equipped, those with influence are not willing to influence people for God, God will use the least. He'll use the smallest. He'll use the quietest. That's the case with Gideon. Gideon's life reflects that. By the way, God's message to us is the same as it is to Gideon. Go in the power that you have. That's what Jesus told the disciples. He He said, go with what you have. You don't need an extra cloak, you don't need extra sandals, you don't need extra knowledge, just go and the power that you have. That's crazy, isn't it? But Lord, there's got to be some class of discipleship that I have to take first, right? I mean, there's got to be a sharing Jesus 101. Maybe I'll call it sharing Jesus without fear. Some of you have taken that class. Maybe, 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 maybe I'll, I'll call it a, a Timothy class. Maybe, I, I, maybe I, I don't know. I'm going to call it uh, uh, Sunday School Explosion 101. I, I don't know. I'm going to have a name. And you've got to go through the class before you can go share Christ with your neighbor. That's ridiculous. God doesn't say that. God doesn't say, Gideon, listen, I've got a few things I need you to do first, okay? He says, Gideon, you're the smallest and the weakest, not just of your clan, of the nation. Yeah, you'll do. Go in the power that you have. God is actually saying, go in your weakness so that I might be strong. Go in your weakness that I might be strong. And some of you have been so overwhelmed by your weaknesses. You see them clearly. That's good. See them clearly and go in that weakness and let the Lord be strong for you. God will use a person even with a troubled track record. That's what we see in Samson's life. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're here and you say, man, I, I don't know. I've been through a couple divorces. I know that wasn't of the Lord, but I just feel like the Lord can't use me anymore. Really? You guys read that little part where the man of God, the judge of God, was sleeping with a prostitute. That was in the text this week. You saw that, right? And God still used him. To deliver his people. I just think sometimes we're so caught up in this thing called church that we forget that God is able. 
that God is able to use really messed up people to bring glory to himself. We should never forget that. God is able. God can and will use anyone that is available. Number two, uh, I, think, I think we learned this week, and I, I, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, but it's just absolutely true. God disciplines disobedience. And he offers grace and redemption to those who cry out to him. God disciplines disobedience, and he offers grace and redemption to those who cry out to him. That is the cycle that we see repeated over and over and over in the book of Judges. God, a God of grace, um, hears the cries of his people. He raises up a leader um, to deliver his people. We, we think about Joshua. We think about Moses, right? Um, the people are faithful. And then the leader leaves. And the leader, in times in the history of Israel, just left for a period of time. Moses goes up on the mountain, 40 days. It doesn't take long for the people to turn. Or they die. They die. The people are quick to stray. They are quick to rebel. And when they rebel, when they forsake God, when they bow down to idols, God removes his hand of blessing and protection from their lives. Still his children... Hear me, still his children, but his act of obedience is to remove his blessing. It's to remove his protection. He's going to let them feel the consequence of their sin. That, that should clue us in, friends, that he has been shielding us from that previously. So God removes that. Some of you say, man, I do stupid things. I, just, I should be more messed up than I am. God's protection, right? That is my, that is my life testimony, friends. Just saying but when I disobey, God removes that. God removes that protection. He removes that blessing. And, and I am faced with all of the consequence of my action. And sooner or later, I am overwhelmed by the results. I find myself in bondage. That's the story of our lives. After a while, after they're taken captive, they're going to cry out, God, we are sorry God, please help us. Like I said earlier, God, if you just rescue me, I will never, ever, ever do it again. Liars. Get this. God knowing that they're lying. God knowing that there's no way on their own and by themselves that they can hold true and fast to the promise they make to him intervenes anyway. And he delivers them. What is that called? What, what else can that be called but grace? What, what, what other titles should we come up for that? And God raises up a deliverer. By the way, I want to remind you of this movement too, Right? Every story of Israel points to the first coming of Jesus, the one who will provide a way back to God. Jesus is our ultimate deliverer. He's the final deliverer that has come to deliver us once and for all from the power of sin and death. It's grace. Our lower story of rebellion is always met by God's upper story of invitation to return to him. That is called grace. I love you. Somebody says to me, Pastor, why should I try? Just feel like I mess up all the time. Yeah, it happens. 
Why should I try? Why should I strive for holiness like the Bible says? Here's my answer. Because I don't like discipline. Because I want God's blessing. Because I need God's protection in my life. That's why you should strive for holiness, okay? Because God disciplines disobedience always. He doesn't look the other way. He can't. He's just. God can't just look the other way and go, oh, I didn't see that. That's fine. That's fine. No, no, that's fine. God can't. It's not in his character, okay? Number three, third lesson I think we learn. I hope we learn. I pray we learn. We need to make sure that we are putting our faith in and following Jesus, not people. We need to make sure we are putting our faith in and following Jesus, not people. Anybody happen to pick up on the little clue? You got to read it several times in the story of when the cycle began. Did you pick it up? It always happened over and over during a time of transition. Always. It always happened when a leader left. Which begs the question, who exactly were they following in the first place? Were they following God or were they following the leader? One of the saddest statements in the scripture that we read this week came from Judges 2.10. It's here at the beginning of the chapter of the story. It says, after that, the whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. After that whole generation, that's Joshua's generation, died off. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. That's a pretty damning claim. Because that means that the deliverers that brought Israel into the promise, the mighty warriors, they forsook the commandment of Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength, right? And then it's talk about his commands as you sit, as you lay down, as you walk. They failed to pass down that faith to the next generation. An entire generation then comes that that doesn't know God or what he has done. That's sad. Entire generation doesn't hear about him. Friends, if you ignore history, you are bound to repeat it. We need to nail this down right now. Listen, every leader leaves. She's going to say, you need to write it down somewhere. It's just true. Somebody told me in ministry a few years back, I was really struggling. We um, were going through growth pains here, and uh, we lost some folks that I, I just I had been on board since I started. And I, I couldn't imagine how that could happen. I, I knew that we were pursuing what the Lord had for us. I knew that we were stepping into territory that he wanted us to step into. Uh, I, the, the Holy Spirit had so secured in my heart what we were doing that I, I knew that was the case. But then these people left that, that I, had, I, I had really put a lot of energy and effort and time into, and, and it, just, it, it just injured me. And, and they said, it's nothing personal. It's, not, it's always personal. Like, we're a family. It's, that's, that's just, don't, don't tell me that later on. It's not personal. Just say, I, I hate you. You stink. That's fine. Okay, we can go that way, but don't don't say it's not personal. I'm going to take it personal no matter what. So, uh, so we're we're there, and, and, and that's fine. So, but I, I just I was trying to seek um, some some godly wisdom. I said, man, this hurts. And a friend of mine, a pastor, said, um, Jason, Jason, listen, everybody leaves. If you don't nail that down right now in ministry, it's going to be miserable for you. Everybody leaves. It'll be a job that they couldn't refuse. 
Um, it'll be a family issue. It'll be death. Everybody leaves. I think church members need to hear the same advice. Listen, every leader leaves. It's going to happen, right? It's going to be a coronary. It's going to be a car wreck. It's, it, it, it's, it, it's going to be moving. The Lord called me to someplace else. Or I, I was at a church once where the pastor just gave up and said, I can't deal with these people anymore. <laughs> I'm not lying to you. I'm just done. Good luck. And I was like, what? Come on, man. God. Speaking of which, uh, my father-in-law told me a story last night. He said, so there was a husband and a wife, and the husband um, woke up one morning and said, I'm not going to that church today. Just, I'm just not going to do it. And the wife says, well, can I ask why? He said, I have three good reasons. He said, those people are just cold, not friendly. Uh, they're, they're, none of them like me, and I just don't feel like it. And the wife said, okay, well, I'm going to give you three reasons that you should go, okay? Not all of those people are cold. Some of them like you, and you're the pastor. (laughs) Get up and say. Everybody leaves. Every leader leaves. So the question to us is, who are we following in the first place? I've seen people's faith crushed when a pastor fails, when a pastor falls, or when a pastor just plain gives up and goes. I've seen people stop going to church because of a pastor. I've seen people close their Bible because of a pastor. Stop praying because of a pastor. Who are you following? Listen. There's one lesson I've learned over the last year and a half of my life. Transitions in life are unavoidable. Everybody that you love leaves at some point. Just did a funeral. Cindy Roberts' mom yesterday, a celebration service. She's in a season of transition. It's going to come. How will you respond? We need to pack it up and go home. I'm going to give you a few things. Number one, first challenge this week, I think coming off that last point is this. Ready? Uh, Love people. Worship God. Okay? It's huge. And and you say, Pastor, why are you giving me this advice? Because I want you to avoid the cycle. All right? The cycle starts in times of transition. So, so my, my advice to you, if you don't want to be like these people, if you don't want to be living in the promised land, but living like a slave, then, then listen, love people, but only worship God. I love my wife next to Jesus. She is God's greatest gift to me. I love my four children. I love them like, like more than I could put into words, but I do not worship the ground that they walk on. They did not hang the moon. God did that. In, in our house, listen, we all fall and we all fail and we do not expect perfection from one another. We only worship God, not each other. And friends, the same is true for you. Love people, support people, encourage people, but only worship God. Every leader in your life, your boss, your pastor, your parents some point they will leave you. some point they will leave you. And you'll be stuck with the question, who am I following? Okay? Love people. Worship 
God. If you can get this, I think this is key to avoiding this cycle thing. Number two, uh, the challenge is just to break the cycle. To break the cycle of sin. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And, and, and kind of what I'm saying to you is, friends, it's really time to pass the test. What test? The test, that we read it in the very first paragraph. We read Judges 2.22. God says this, right? I will use them to test Israel and see whether they will keep the way of the Lord. It's the test of obedience, friends. Okay? God disciplines disobedience. And some of you, the moment I said it's time to pass the test, you knew exactly what I was talking about because you have failed the same test a hundred times. You know the test. Isn't that, isn't that maddening that we know the test? We even know the answers on the test. And yet the test hits the desk and we big F right there. Are you kidding me? How many times have you taken that one test in your life? Friends, it's time to pass it. You know the answer. Obey the word of the Lord. That's the answer. Walk in obedience. Choose not to cower anymore to the same old sin. Been preaching. I'm going to keep preaching. It is time to move on. It's time... There is this beautiful life out there. So stop focusing on that one stupid sin. Go experience the abundant life of Christ. Just move on. Lastly, I would say to you, be available. Be available. God can and will use you to help bring deliverance in other people's lives. Be available. Let him use you. Go in the power that you have. You don't need a special class. You don't need more training. Just go be a mom to moms. Can you do that? Those of you that have been moms and you've been there and you've done that, come share some advice with those that are still doing it. Go be a father to fatherless. Go be a friend to the lonely. Just go be available. I think that's what we learned from the book of Judges. Would you guys pray with me this morning? Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your word and your kindness. I pray this week as we prepare our hearts to leave this place, we would leave changed because of what we heard. I pray that sermon notes don't just get filed in a Bible, but they get prayed over. I pray that past mistakes aren't just pointed out, but that we're encouraged to move on from them. God, I pray that we learn to not worship the ground that anyone walks on, but God, that we would be found only as worshipers of you. And God, as we do, we pray that you would be praised. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.